he was always proactive. Like, even though he had his IEP, he was always proactive. It's like my other two boys didn't have no issues with, you know, dyslexia. And he made, he got the best grades. My dyslexic child had the best grades, you know? So it's like, he just always put in the extra effort, put in the extra work. He didn't let his disability define him. And welcome back to You Need a Counselor podcast. It is 2023. Um, it's weird saying that still. <laughs> I find it very, very odd um, writing that, saying that. It just, And the other day, somebody said to me, oh, this thing happened in 2009. And I had to go, how long ago was that? <laughs> right? Like, that feels like it was like a maybe five or six years ago. It wasn't. It was 14 years ago. How is, what? Um, And so just time is is fleeting and just very, very, uh, it goes so fast. It's amazing. Um, So welcome to uh, our fourth season and welcome to 2023. Um, We have an exciting uh, event that's coming out, we are going to be launching our Patreon account um, this season. So in uh, one, about one month in February, uh, we will be launching our Patreon. Now that is for providers that are interested in play therapy certification. Uh, we are able to offer live webinar trainings for play therapists that are looking for uh, CEUs for the live trainings, and then also use for recorded trainings. And if you are trying to get your play therapy certification, you know that you need some that are live in real time and some that can be recorded. Our live ones are happening in real time, but they're virtual. They're on the computer. So you can do it from your house. Uh, So we are excited about that. So go uh, search us on Patreon at Heart and Solutions Trainings. Now, I've been reading a lot about podcasting lately, um, and by reading, I mean listening, (laughs) podcasting, Uh, and and they say that if you ask people to like the video, if you ask people to share the video or subscribe to the video, that it, people will do it, and I find myself doing it, I'll be like, oh yeah, this is a great episode, I'm gonna like this episode, (laughs) or I'm gonna there's this lady who does like depression meal cooking. Like she cooks, well, I think she's passed now, but her grandson recorded her cooking these meals that she grew up with in the Great Depression. And it's so cute, Clara. And I always find myself like commenting on her stuff. Like, I love Clara. She's so sweet. Right? So please send us a comment on there. Um, subscribe to these, then you'll get them uh, notif- a notification to you uh, every time there's a new episode. All right, I'm Dr. Julie Johnson. I'm the president and founder here at Heart Solutions in Iowa. We're a mental health counseling agency. And I'm Krista Hunt. I am the vice president at Heart and Solutions in charge of our BHIS department. So BHIS stands for Behavioral Health Intervention Services. And that's the program where we go in home and work with children four through 18 on different behavioral skills or in school, in the office, telehealth as well. And this is our podcast, You Need a Counselor. So we are designed for people curious about counseling, but have barriers keeping them from experiencing the benefits of counseling. Our mission is to share stories about counseling, good, bad, and indifferent, and spread the message that everyone can benefit for mental health and behavioral health counseling services. So we post on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. We really encourage you to batch up your laundry um, with the rest of us. And don't put away clean laundry on a Tuesday night. That is a waste of a perfectly good Tuesday night, okay? (laughs) Put it away on Sunday night uh, when you're getting ready for the week. um, And that way you don't have to think about it throughout the rest of the week. But that gives you the entire week to listen to that week's episode on Sunday night while you're putting away your laundry. That gives you that entire week to get in touch with your counselor, get scheduled with a counselor, or get in touch with one of our guests uh, and resources from this week's episode. So today we have a special guest and she's a return guest, which we love when our guests come back to the podcast. Um, it's just so fun to get those updates, kind of dig deeper into the things that we got to touch on in the beginning of the episode. I always feel like the episodes go 
so fast. And a lot of times I feel like, gosh, we got to talk for three hours about these topics. Um, so we've got Tanisha Gatson here with us today. Um, Tanisha is one of our Heart and Solutions board members um, and joins our compliance board once a quarter um, to give us all of her ideas and inspirations and experiences that help guide our agency. Um, so welcome, Tanisha. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Um, I'm Tanisha Gatson, and I live in. Um, Manchester, Iowa. I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, and um, I've worked in healthcare for a little over 15 years in an administrative capacity. Um, and I'm just a, a mental health care advocate and an advocate for um, mental health and therapy. And I currently do um, social media content on mental health and where mental health, I'm sorry, and um, wellness with my um, social media platforms with my TikTok and um, Facebook platform, just in forming um, adults and also um, parents. I do a series, well, I just done a um, particular series on um, letting parents know about pediatric neurologists and how they can um, use the pediatric neurologist to get their kids tested for like ADD, ADHD, mm -hmm. and um, behavior health, or if their kids are suffering from like um, autism or um, any of behavior issues. Because a lot of times, um, a lot of parents don't know that you can go to your local pediatric neurologist to get them tested for these services. So I did a whole breakdown of that and just um, breaking down the differences of like the IEP and a 504 plan. Um, just doing a whole series on that. And I've got so much traction from like parents and um, special education teachers um, just doing different content on that. So I've, I've seen that um, the particular content that I did on that particular series with um, parents um, and even um, teachers, I mean, it, it's gotten like so much traction um, with my social media platform um, during that particular series and just giving them information and kind of let parents know what to expect. Because one of the um, uh, specialties that I work for is pediatric neurology. And by me being a parent who has had a child like that had dyslexia and kids who have had IEPs and 504 plans, I'm able to sympathize with them also to explain kind of like the process and, you know, letting them know about wait time with appointments and kind of what to expect with those different things. And kind of like, even with insurances, letting them know, like you can use your state Medicaid programs does accept, you know, um, the doctors does take this particular insurances and also your commercial insurance. So kind of like breaking those all down, like in segments of um, each particular thing with that. So that has been really, really helpful. Um, to parents as well. That's really cool. That is very cool. So you're using your personal experiences as a parent and those challenges that you uh, experienced yourself and the things that you learned to help other people, help other parents to prepare for those kinds of challenges. What are some of those most common challenges that parents might uh, face when they're trying to enter the world of pediatric neurology for their child um, to help those child with those things? What are some of those main challenges? And then what are some of the things that uh, people should know to be able to uh, overcome those challenges? Well, the first additional thing really is kind of like they just not knowing where to start. A lot of parents feel like they're the only one, their child is the only one. Um, and then a huge thing is not them not being aware of the wait time. A lot of times when your child is suffering from like ADD, ADHD, or autism, they always think they have to wait on the school system to test their child. And to wait on the school system, you'll be waiting like a year or two years sometimes to get your child tested. And you'll be better off going to the pediatric neurologist because you'll get an actual physical diagnosis, you'll get the testing um, that they need. And, and, and 
that can work one or two ways for you because if you get the actual testing and a, a actual diagnosis for the child, if that child qualify for your state um, disability benefits, you can start applying for those benefits. And, and furthermore, the additional services that they need. I mean, you can kind of light the fire to the school system to actually get them in an IEP plan. You know, a lot of times kids get frustrated in school and it kind of hinder their learning because they'll think like, oh, you know, I'm not so smart or they don't want to learn. And it's really not them. They really have an underlying issue. So you will want those services in place. And like I'll tell parents in the video too, like you got to realize you are the number one advocate for your child. Don't let the school system intimidate you. You know, I even did a video like breaking down in the meetings. No question is a dumb question. You got to realize this is your child and you're their number one advocate. Mm -hmm. Don't make, you know, no question is a dumb question. You know, you, you are new to this. You don't understand this. So if anything you want to know, you know, ask, because they have, you know, there is set up to any aids that your child need, whether it's visual, you know, they have to provide those services, you know, sometimes kids need something um, visually tailored to them. Sometimes it's maybe they have to have like audio books if that's provided for them. So it all depends on what their need is, how that plan needs to be tailored to them and then the difference between an IEP and a 504 plan like that um, one of those plans it can follow you from um, K all the way to college so they can even have those services in college and then as your child gets to like the high school level when they get 16 you want to invite them into the meeting so when they get to college they can advocate for themselves because when they get to college you're not going to be in that um, inside of, you know, with them to advocate for the services that they need. They're going to need to know how to do that for themselves. So you want to include them on those, you know, on the, in those meetings so they know what it is that they need. Because each year they'll get it tailored because some things have changed. Maybe they got better at certain things, some things they might need more help with. So each year it's updated depending on their need. Interesting. I didn't know that one of them even lasted till college. So that's, yeah. that's mm -hmm. cool. Um, yeah. Which is what I was going to ask about. So you mentioned like you've done some TikToks on IEPs and 504 plans. Um, mm -hmm. You parents who are coming like into this and have no idea what those even are, what that even stands for. Can you give us some background, even what that is and how they can get started in that process? Sure. So IEP is an individual education plan and a 504 is more tailored to a child who has like a health problem. So just say if your child has like anxiety or they have um, some type of medical issue, um, just say if they have a sickle cell or something like that, a 504 plan is more tailored to that child mm -hmm. because they have a health condition, but it doesn't hinder the learning process. So that means like they're academically smart, but they have this health condition that interferes with school okay and then the IEP is more so that um they have something IEP is more so for a kid who has like ADD ADHD autism or they have dyslexia something like that so that's more tailored to a child that has like a developmental uh delays or something like that so they have um issues that affects their learning so it's even a chart um, where I show parents like a side-by-side -side chart. So, you know, the differences of, okay, this is tailored to medical issues. This is tailored to more of, you know, these particular issues. And it's a side-by-side -side chart that I show them. So they're able to see the difference between the two. And then I also explain to them um, what is, considered an IEP and what is considered a 504 plan and, and explain to them the difference between that. And then also explain um, when you initially schedule your child for the first appointment for uh, um, pediatric neurology, the wait time is anywhere from three to six months. And that's just your first initial appointment. So you have to be prepared for that. You know, like it's not a something you're going to get next week, you know, and then depending 
And I was just explaining to him, it's like that because a pediatric neurologist sees array of things. They see patients who are, you know, have seizures, brain injuries, you know, they see a lot of different um, things, not just tailored to um, the educational piece of of things. And sometimes parents wait until right before school start, like, oh, my child needs this evaluation for school. Mm-hmm. Like, mm, it don't work like that, <laughs> you know, like, so just kind of like um, preparing you for what's ahead. So that way you can schedule that appointment in time enough, say, okay, now it's January, you know, your child going to need this IEP by September, mm-hmm. schedule the appointment ahead of time so you can get them you know, and to be seen, you know, you want to take a summer vacation. So going ahead and schedule it now, you know, so a lot of the information that I've given, a lot of parents have saved it, you know, to their favors and um, was thanking me for the information because they wasn't aware, you know, like I always say being informed is, is huge. You know, like for me, I had to do the legwork of learning about the different things. It's like, even though I was in healthcare, I wasn't in behavioral health, so to speak. So I wasn't aware, like I can go to a pediatric neurologist. And so I started working in the specialty. I learned more about what the specialty does. So by me working in the specialty, I was able to, okay, let me create this content because I have experience on this end just by dealing with it with two of my boys now let me share this information with more parents because I know like when we get parents calling um if they have concerns it's like my director will always give the calls to me because I'm always able to calm them down or parents a lot of times ask for me specifically now because you know I'm able to you know like soothe them or give them more information or kind of like tell them what to expect because they like oh I don't know what to do and you know my child is you know, having this issue and, oh, I just feel like I'm the only one. Or sometimes when they dealing with co-parenting situations, like that sometimes be the hardest thing. Like I had one mom um, the other day, she's dealing with a co-parenting situation where the husband took the child to um, see the doctor for ADHD and the doctor just automatically put the kid on some meds after one visit. And I'm like, what? That's unheard of. Because, you know, after one visit, first of all, they need to be tested. They need to have like, um, they just need to have like for a series of tests. You just don't put the kid on medicine first visit. I mean, like not, not that I've experienced in working in this field. You just don't put the kid on medication the first visit. And so she don't believe that the child should be taking medicine. And she's a teacher herself. Mm -hmm. So she's dealing with that piece and now she wants the child to be seen you know while she's with her so now you have a situation where mom don't want the child to take the medication dad giving the child medication I said well you know that's a cause for concern because you're giving the child a medication that you can't abruptly stop taking a a medication like that a child has to be weaned off so you know, like I explained to her, you kind of in a, between a rock and a hard place, you know, like, I don't know how to advise you on that. All I can say is, um, you know, you and the father have to come to some common ground because you're dealing with a medication. Now you're dealing with a kid. So something has to have some type of resolve, Yeah. you know? So. Absolutely. And those are situations, those are so difficult. And, uh, and if it isn't a type of co-parenting situation where they, where everybody can come to an agreement, then uh, going back to the attorney that represented you as the parent uh, in that custody agreement, in that divorce agreement, um, and going to them and saying, this is the situation I need. I either need mediation to happen on this, um, or we need to bring this back to family court, or we need to have the attorneys handle it um, between themselves. Because uh, like you mentioned, it is a very dangerous situation as that, as that parent, I would not feel comfortable taking them off of the medication when they're at my house because they were 
on it already. Uh, mm-hmm. And that can be very, very dangerous. Um, but at the same time, I don't agree with the medication. I wasn't part of that discussion um, with that psychiatrist. And so I, it, like you said, it is. it does feel like a rock mm-hmm. in a hard place. And that's where the, those advocates for us as co-parents really come into play. Like don't don't feel afraid to contact your attorney again and say this is what is happening because uh, like you said, it is that important. It is that uh, to that level where those things need to go to mediation or they might need to go back to family court. Um, mm-hmm. And so what a great, uh, what a great background that you have uh, working in this field professionally, but then also coming at it from personal experience to be able to help people to understand what you said, they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is such an important piece because we can feel like we are so alone. I also love what you said about preparing ahead of time um, and and having the expectation, changing the expectation from, oh, I'm going to be able to call and get scheduled and get in there and get that information I need for the IEP. Um, it, it reminds me of when I was pregnant with my daughter, she, I was like, what, three months pregnant and she was on the preschool waiting list <laughs> because it, you know, we're in a small town. Um, but she was on a daycare waiting list. She was on a preschool waiting list and she wasn't even born yet. Um, and, uh, you know, my daughter's been uh, diagnosed and but she was diagnosed at a young age and we worked with her at home. Um, but I've never been offered an IEP or a 504 at school. And I think it's because the challenges that she has uh, we found solutions kind of at an early age for those things. And so they're not showing up at school. Um, but that doesn't mean that an IEP or a 504 can't help her, right? Like an IEP absolutely can help her. Um, but I think that sometimes what happens for kids is that only the children who are having behavioral difficulties or learning difficulties that are showing up at school are the ones that then get referred um, for pediatric neurology and for additional testing. And so um, what you said about parents being your child's best advocate is absolutely right. Because for my child, she wouldn't be referred for an IEP or a 504, but it could still help her, right? And I know that. Um, And so as a parent, being able to bring that up to the school and bring that documentation into the school and say, look, I know it doesn't look like she has this uh, this condition, but she does (laughs) like it's a lot of work to make it not seem like she does. Right. But but that's the thing. You don't always have to. The thing is, see, with the school system, you don't have to wait to the school say she needs it, because a lot of times the school that's see that's the issue that a lot of parents have Mm -hmm. the school is not the school don't always have the resources to test the child and that and that's that's the issue that a lot of parents was having they'll just pass the kids along and the kids go on they might have years of not having been tested having trouble and and been four or five years could probably needed these service or have been without. And sometimes you wonder like why they struggle or they only showing signs of different things at home, or it could have been red flags, mom or dad seen, but they kind of, Oh, you know, brush it off. Oh, they just do this sometimes. That's why, you know, a lot of parents found out like, or maybe the pediatrician said, well, Oh, we'll just take them to neurology or maybe they went to ENT and ENT say, well, Oh, maybe you need to get them seen by pediatric neurology and see, you know, what's going on. So they take them to a pediatric neurology and then they say, well, okay, they have this. Like a lot of times kids sometimes be like um, on the autism spectrum. They don't fully have autism, but they could be on the autism spectrum Mm -hmm. or um, they can have some form of developmental delay or they could be a little dyslexic. They might not have like ADD or ADHD, but you know, like it could be signs of certain things that are there. So that's what a lot of the times, like sometimes parents run into, like, it don't always be like true behavioral stuff where a kid just like acting out or they just being, you know, rambunctious or sometimes like, um, 
certain parents, like we get calls and the dad might be like, oh, I think my kid has, you know, a behavior issue. And it's like, okay, well, mom don't think so. The kid is eight years old. I'm like, are oh, they just being a boy? Like, what do you think he was sit there still? Like, like some mom, like he just, I don't think he's doing that. Cause when he was me, he just sit and plays with his Legos. He don't do all this stuff. Well, what attention is dad giving a kid? You know, so it's just like, and then you got to think too, like this is talking about that same mom with the medication. Well, okay, y'all newly divorced. A kid is going to act out. So is this a kid acting out because the parent is divorced? You know, this is me, you know, at the mom's playing in the story. I was like, okay, well, you separating the kid. The kid is here some days, here another day. This kid is a eight-year-old kid being split between two homes so is a kid acting out because mom and dad is newly divorced like you have to kind of put stuff into perspective it's not always a kid having an issue the kid is having a life issue you know yeah you're just telling the kid to process adult stuff that adults can't even process you know so this is all new for adults to have a change so how was the eight-year-old kid processing being at dad certain many days a week and being at mom's certain many days a week it's like this is life uh-huh. but you're telling the kids to process this and then you're giving them medication to process this like it's like you know and yeah. she asking me like what I think I said I, I mean I can't give you from a medical standpoint you know I can't do that legally but it's like I mean, like, this is me, this is her, this is me telling you guys what I'm telling you now is what I'm telling her. Like, I'm listening to what you're telling me, but how can you expect an eight-year-old to process being separated between two homes? And, you know, you're, you still seem like you're having a hard time processing. So you're expecting an eight-year-old to do that? I mean, me personally, I would think he's having a hard time processing Uh being at two different places. He's supposed to be one way at one place, another way at another place. And I don't know, I said, from the way you're talking, it doesn't sound like your ex would be saying pleasant things about you in front of him. (laughs) I'm like, so that's another thing too. That's why I'm huge on co-parenting situations because when you're co-parenting with um, the non-custodial parent, it's like, talking bad about that parent in front of that child is crucial because the child can take it as you talking bad about me because you don't know what features that child could have more like that non-custodial parent that you're talking about so they internalizing like oh you feel this way about me you know so I always tell parents like that's that's another series I'm going to work on too because I find that so much that In co-parenting situations, it's like, you need to be mindful of how you talk. I don't care if he left you for Sally Sue or she left you for Bob. That goes out the window. Your main focus should be what's in the best interest of that child. Leave your personal feelings at the door. It's like, do not be talking bad about that non-custodial parent in front of ears reach of that child I just do not believe in doing that I've never done it and I was in a horrible situation like you know you guys know my son tried to take his life and be due to the non-custodial parent but I've never to this day and I still don't talk bad about the non-custodial parent in front of my child I just don't do it and my son is going to be 26 years old I just do not do it I just don't believe in doing it like what 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 is going to benefit me any to do it Mm-hmm. it just it serves no purpose to me so it's like my adult feelings are my adult feelings and I will deal with those accordingly but for me to do it it just serves no purpose I just don't I just feel like if you over that situation personally why why even give it your energy in that way yeah I mean that's healthy parenting <laughs> but yeah like you said it's hard too because a lot of parents do have struggles with that with talking about the other parent um mm-hmm. and yeah it sounds like something even like for behis like to bring in when I was uh what I do in my position is it, the nice thing about behis is behis can go to both homes and work on those behaviors at both homes because like you said a lot of the times the kids behaviors are attention seeking they're probably getting that attention from mom or dad at one of the homes too um 
So having that neutral person being able to be at both homes or see in that school as well to help work on those behaviors um, does definitely help too. Um, but um, you mentioned too that at the beginning that your son um, had a dyslexic diagnosis. Um, how did that come out? How was how did that um, get discovered? How did you guys start with that process of um, working with him then on that behavior or diagnosis? Um, I was first. I found out from his second grade teacher because she had okay. um, her husband was dyslexic, so she noticed it in his schoolwork. He was writing his mm -hmm. R's, his D's and fives backwards oh, okay so when I went to a parent teacher conference like his first report card pickup she said um I think he's dyslexic and she said um I know this because she said my husband is mm -hmm. and she said I see the signs she said but um she said the school will give me a hard time asking them to test him she said, but you're the mom. If you push to have him tested, then they will do it. She said, because if the parents do it, then, you know, they'll kind of like light the fire to them. She said, but if I do it, they're going to drag. So um, when I did it, it's still like it didn't get done. When I end up moving back to, I lived in Minnesota at the time. So when I end up moving back to Illinois, um, I told them like, what his teacher said they was like oh well maybe it was that school and I'm like how's it that school like he's still I mean like this is clear I mean this is his handwriting like he was like struggling with reading he was like really struggling and I remember my brother um I used to work 11 a.m to 7 30 p.m and I worked in surgery and so my brother was helping with his homework one day and he was like reading a book and he was having trouble and my brother like popped him upside the head one day because my brother was like in like real militant with him mm -hmm. and so um he like cried so bad because he couldn't do it like he couldn't read it you know he couldn't read it because of, he was dyslexic like so um he never forget that to this day my son brings it up my son mm -hmm. is 23 he brings it up he said he'll never forget that day and he used to struggle because he couldn't, he didn't see numbers and letters like we see it. So he's like, I still remember that. He was like, I never forgive him for that. Like he just, he still remember that. Like he always says that too. But yeah, he, um, I told my brother, like, don't ever help him with his homework again. Like he'll wait till I get home from work. He'll just do it after seven, you know, when I get off work, he'll just do it later. Like, don't, help him with his homework I'm like you don't have the patience like don't help him with his homework and so when he finally ended up getting tested <clears throat> um when he was in fourth grade they finally tested him and said he is dyslexic and he had an IEP ever since he had he had it even in college because he's still in college now so he has it you know I think when we are around someone who has dyslexia, we're, we're better able to understand it and, and see those signs in others. Um, and a lot of these things, a lot of these uh, ways of learning and different ways of thinking have genetic components. Um, and so again, as parents, we are in such a great position to be able to identify these things for our children and then also advocate um, and bring them separate from the school, bring them in to get them tested. Um, and my husband is extremely dyslexic, I mean, extremely. And he had such a hard time in school, uh, in elementary school, because he didn't know what it was. His mom didn't know what it was. His teachers didn't know what it was. And they all thought he was stupid. Um, and he thought he was stupid. And his teachers were like, he's not going to really do so well, right? Um, and he still carries that with him uh, as an adult. And after being diagnosed as an adult, he's able to say now, okay, this is what it is. This is the accommodation I have to make for myself in order to, uh, to do these things successfully. Yeah, it's not fair that I have to do things differently, but also being dyslexic makes him extremely good at other things that like, I'm terrible at, right? And he is like amazing at them. Um, and so it really, 
you know, when somebody knows that he's dyslexic, you can, like, you can tell, but you can also see where those superpowers are, um, that creative problem solving, that spatial recognition, right, um, all of, like, the math and, and science stuff that he's able to understand and, and pull apart and put back together, um, that I, it blows my mind, right, it makes me, my mind feels mushy after I hear about that stuff. Um, and so with my daughter being able to see, even at the age of two, um, being able to see a lot of those same frustrations she was having, a lot of those same things, we were able to get her uh, those accommodations early. And it's nice in our family because there are a lot of things that she gets from me. She snores super loud. <laughs> she sleeps the same way that I do. Okay. She, I mean, she will throw her clothes all over her room. That's totally from me. Okay. So she, she will, she does all these things that I do, but she also in this regard, she does this, but she knows that her daddy does it too. She knows that her dad is dyslexic and she's dyslexic and she has no shame about it. Like she will just, she'll tell anybody who asks. And the thing is that people are always surprised. Or I think sometimes people don't believe me um, when I say it, because when you see her read, when you see her write, she doesn't do those things anymore as often. Right. Um, and so it, she does them the same amount that maybe a typical first grader would do them. But that's on purpose. Like that's because we were able to get her tested. We were able to put those things in place ahead of time. Um, and so as a parent, I love what you're saying about, yeah, we can't rely on the school is there to educate my child. The school is not there to handle their mental health needs, to handle their um, their external needs, their medical needs. Uh, and that that is our role and that is our job. And we don't have to wait on being offered an IEP. We can ask for an IEP. Um, we don't have to wait for, uh, Iowa schools will not diagnose uh, dyslexia. Um, it's like a law, they, they can't diagnose that. Um, and so for, they, they can do it through the AEA and they can do it through other services, but the schools themselves are not allowed to do it. And so if we wait for a school to diagnose our child, we're gonna be waiting a long time. Um, unless we get, you know, we get lucky and we get a teacher who, understands it from personal experience uh, and so I, I love your message that we're allowed to do that as parents we are encouraged to do it we are allowed to do it and uh, and we can only do what we know and so if we don't know we don't know and if we're gathering this information and learning about these things for our children then that empowers us so much more so you're really empowering those parents um, which I just think is wonderful so uh, in regard to the co-parenting, I love this because like Krista said, BHIS is so great. It's in both houses. And so a BHIS counselor can come in and meet with that child at dad's one week and meet with the child at mom's the other week and go, oh goodness, this is a totally different child. Okay, what is, what is working at dad's house that isn't happening at mom's house? What is working at mom's house that isn't happening at dad's house, right? And what are the rules at both mm -hmm. houses? Um, and BHS is so helpful for that. Um, I love Moms of Tampa. Do you guys watch Moms of Tampa uh -huh. ever? Oh, my goodness. So on Facebook, TikTok, probably Instagram, Moms of Tampa, they are a, uh, so there was a husband and a wife. They were separated. They had a, a son. Um, and then the husband got married to another woman and that, that new mom, that stepmom and the biological mom became best friends. Uh, and then the biological mom also married again um, and had another son. And now that son that has no biological relationship to the, the biological dad of the first one is like step parent to this other son. It, it's amazing. They, they go on vacations together. They're best friends. And these children never have to experience that feeling of well a negative comment about my mother is really a negative comment about me or a negative comment about my father is really a negative comment about me um so moms of tampa is just it's so cool and it's funny also um 
So absolutely. I love this. What great information um, you've given us today. And now where can people find your TikToks? Where can people find your Facebook posts and your lives and, uh, and these different segments of education? Oh, it's at um, the spice to your life. Um, TikTok is what it's on. And then the same thing for my um, Facebook and Instagram. So it's the same, all the same handle. Perfect. Spice up your life. Spice to your life. The same. Yeah. So it's the same thing. Yes. And then spice to your life. And one thing I wanted to add, like, um, with my son being dyslexic, um, like you say, he put in the work, like even when he was in high school, he graduated with honors. Like he went, he went to school early. He stayed late. He studied. Um, he would, if, if it's, if it was something he didn't understand, he asked questions, he stayed late after class. He went, um, like on his lunch period, he'll go and, um, and ask the teacher, um, he would come in a little early. He used to leave out the house sometimes at like five 30 in the morning, come to school at six in the morning. Like he was always proactive. Like, even though he had his IEP, he was always proactive. It's like my other two boys didn't have no issues with, you know, dyslexia. And he made, he got the best grades. My dyslexic child had the best grades, you know? So it's like, he just always put in the extra effort, put in the extra work. He didn't let his disability define him, you know, like even with college, like he has a, it's like, he set goals for himself and he always said, oh, mom, by the time, you know, I give myself, you know, a year and I want to achieve this, I give myself two years and I want to do this, or, you know, like, he's like that now, even, um, like, with his job and him working, like, if he say, I want to move here, or I want to travel here, or I want to go there, like, he saves his money, he, he's like, he's real strategic at, like, what he does, you know, like, I know, I remember the first time when he tried to do like online classes, like with his dyslexia, he said, Ma, I don't think online classes is for me. That's why at the height of COVID, he took a year off because he said that he tried the online classes. He said, Ma, it's just it was just too bit of, too much of a struggle for him. Yeah. Because he said he needs the in-class type of environment. He said the online was just too much of a struggle for him. Cause he said if he had questions for his professor, he just found it was too difficult to try to like navigate through the whole like online class and if it was something he didn't understand it was just he said it was just too much going on <laughs> too much going on for him so he just he said he didn't really like it so he nice. said he didn't you know he said he didn't prefer to do that he said he'd just rather go back on campus again yeah so he said he didn't like it so yeah I mean just, even just working during COVID was hard I can't imagine like being in school online with dyslexia as well that would definitely be hard yeah, he said I didn't like it. Yeah. Okay, well, if you could give one suggestion to somebody on the fence about either starting counseling or getting their kid tested or getting looked into for an IEP or 504 plan, um, what suggestion would you give to somebody on the fence? I always say, um, I tell, I was just telling, um, I was just speaking to my um, best friend husband and I was, I said that, I believe everybody had some form of trauma in their life. Um, mm -hmm. I said, especially if you grew up in, inner, in the inner city, I always said that um, we all have experienced some form of PTSD, but it's, I just feel like, I feel like it comes out in people's lives differently. And I feel like, um, especially, um, in the African-American community, I think people have a huge stigma on like labels, you know, they feel like, um, I don't want to be titled as I'm not crazy. I said, but you prefer to run to the bottle when something goes wrong or pick up a substance when something goes wrong, but you claim you don't have an issue. Clearly you have an issue, <laughs> you know, I'm like, but you, I said, you drowning yourself in a bottle or picking up a substance is not going to make your issue better. You're just going to make your issue worse. It's like, even me 
personally, um, like over the holidays, um, I've dealt with depression. Sometimes just um, being alone, um, just being here alone and sometimes away from my family, like I struggle myself and I'm very transparent about that. Like um, sometimes, sometimes me doing my social media content sometimes I'll be talking to myself when I'm motivating other people because sometimes I have to get that out myself like um just being um here alone you know sometimes um I say you know telling people like you need to like reach out to somebody when you find yourself um getting too much in your thoughts you know not so much like you're feeling suicidal, but just like get down or depressed. Sometimes you gotta um, just reach out. When me, I find myself when I'm feeling down, I don't like to um, make other people feel down, so I don't reach out. But sometimes you have to because I'll I'll seclude myself. So that's how I know when I start to get down. Like I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't answer my phone. I don't want to be around nobody. I just like distance myself from everybody and that's not a good thing and I noticed for me personally like my older two boys have been giving me um like a hard time so I I told them I put them on like on a 60-day probation like no I didn't want to talk to them for 60 days because I just got tired of them with just with a bunch of their shenanigans and I just needed a, a mental break you know like just the constant if somebody just like pulling on you and pulling on you and it's just mm -hmm. too much and it's negative, like sometimes I have to put boundaries on people, even my kids, yeah. like I need a break. Like you're not finna, <laughs> like I just can't deal with it. So it's like, I, and they like, they didn't know how to accept that. Like what's wrong with my mother, you know, calling all my family members, like why she not talking to us? And I'm like, and I told them, I gave them a heads up like around Thanksgiving, like come December 1st. I won't be talking to y'all to February 1st. Like, I need a break. I can't do it. Like, all these late night weird phone calls, calling with shenanigans. Like, I don't have time for it. Like, I'm not finna deal with it. Like, setting boundaries. Like, you gotta set boundaries for people. Like, I don't care if it's kids, family members, whoever it is. Like, that's what 2023 for me is boundaries. Like, I'm setting boundaries. I don't care who it is. And, it, and it's so funny because my oldest son told... <laughs> my um his his son's mother like oh don't call him like I didn't want to talk to my grandkids it's like no I'm talking to my grandkids I'm just not talking to <laughs> it's you. not my kids <laughs> right so it's like I'm talking to my grandkids but I'm just not talking to you so it was just for me like setting boundaries for people but I feel like everyone needs counseling um mm -hmm. I feel like I wouldn't be where I'm at without it personally um, and as far as, um, if someone, I mean, if you feel like your child, um, needs services, whether it's, um, if you feel your child is artistic, has ADHD, um, ADD, a learning disability, or have developmental delays, you can always call, um, and have your child, evaluated by a pediatric neurologist so wherever that is whatever state choose in and they take your local um managed medicaid programs so it has to be like a managed medicaid not just a straight medicaid but um you can call and um get a scheduled appointment somewhere but you have to be aware that those appointments can be anywhere from three to six months out so just be prepared for that when you do call to schedule an appointment. Yes, so. such great information. And uh, if you are, you know, if you're thinking about um, ADHD as a potential, for example, um, you can also call and get scheduled with a counselor because a counselor um, is able to diagnose ADHD, can give you that diagnosis for your um, psychiatrist or your family doctor uh, to to 
start a conversation about medication management if you want to do that, um, but also can start that weekly therapy or that biweekly therapy um, with your child and can give you that diagnosis to bring to the school and say, look, my child can benefit from an IEP. Here's their diagnosis for ADHD. Um, we, are, we cannot diagnose for uh, dyslexia and other neurological diagnoses, um, but oftentimes, uh, you know, here at Heart and Solutions, so if you're in Iowa, you can give us a call and get an assessment done, and we can do a referral. And a lot of times, uh, if we do a referral to one of the testing sites, then uh, we can get you bumped up that waiting list um, so that you can get in faster. Uh, and we can also, um, a lot of times, if you uh, have that that therapy service or that BHIS service or both going at a consistent rate, you're more able to get into that managed Medicaid. Um, and if you do have that managed Medicaid, sometimes they have uh, requirements for you to try first before you get to go uh, see a pediatric neurologist. And so um, being able to prove that, yep, my child has been in therapy for this amount of time. Here's all the notes or here's a letter that says that um, can sometimes help in speed up that process as well. Um, so if, if you are in Iowa, give us a call at 800-531-4236. That in-home behavioral health program is so great for co-parenting. Um, and that's 100% covered by Iowa Medicaid as well. Um, so Tanisha, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you can find Tanisha at Spice to Your Life on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, I love it. It's easy for me to remember because that's your email. Also. <laughs> so I always think Spice of Your Life or Spice to Your Life um, when I think of Tanisha. Um, but uh, thank you so much for being on our board. Thank you so much for being on these two uh, episodes and we'd love to have you back another time. I'm Tanisha Gaffin, and I definitely need a counselor. Awesome. Love it. So do I. So does Krista. <laughs> we all <laughs> do. Love it. Okay. And like Julie mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we post new episodes every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central Time. So save up your laundry or whatever chore you hate doing and listen to us while you get that done on Sunday night, and we can help get you connected with some services or whoever our guest is that week as well. And if you have any questions for us, you can reach us on our Facebook page at You Need a Counselor Podcast, our Instagram at You Need a Counselor Podcast, or we now have that Patreon that Julie was talking about. So you can subscribe to that or subscribe to our YouTube um, where we post Be His Activity videos as well and like and share our video and all that stuff. Okay, so I'm Chris Hunt. And I'm Julie Johnson and we need a counselor. And so do you. Bye. Bye.